Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, everyone. My name is Paz Avalos. I'm General Manager Operations at Sodexo, and I would like to welcome you to another chapter of the Leadership Series. Well, Paz, thank you very much. It's great to, great to have you on. You were recommended by Paul Bean, uh, and Paul went down very well. Uh, he, uh, he spoke really highly of you when I said, you know, who would you recommend as an inspiring leader? He said, I oh, know you've got to have Paz on. She may be in, she may be in uh, Brisbane, Australia, but you'll have to find a time to do it. So here it is. It's 6 p.m. for you. It's 8 a.m. for me, but it's lovely having you on the series. So thank you, Paz. Thank you very much, Jonathan, for the invitation. And also thank you to Paul for his very kind nomination. I'm very excited about this opportunity and very much looking forward to our conversations. Yeah, well, great. So let's, you, you've had a fascinating life and our lives and the journeys, the highs, the lows shape the leader that, the, that we are today. T tell me a bit about what you're doing currently in Australia, the kind, of, the kind of work and what it involves, but also then your life journey sort of started from when you were younger uh, into, into leadership. Well, thank you, no problem. So my current role is General Manager Operations for Sodexo. Sodexo is a global company. We operate in over 76 countries. And in Australia, we have a very large presence in the energy and resources industry, mining, oil and gas, and in general, energy producing companies. And what we do is we provide facility management services. So part of my role is working, I have the privilege to work with a large group of team members and clients. And, and try to bring the needs of our clients and the skills and abilities of our multiple team members in, in a way of that we provide services for those who particularly um, mostly live remotely and have the need to obviously at the end of their long days of work, enjoy a hot meal, enjoy the facilities, have some distractions, have some activities. And really it's about providing quality of life services for those who work remotely and away from home for long periods of time mainly. Yeah, that, that must be fascinating because um, having served in the army and been in some really remote locations, whether it be Bosnia or, or bases in different parts of the world, I could imagine, and Sodexo did work for the army as well and, and yes. providing services. It's crucial, crucial. It is, it is very fascinating. And you do get to visit places that otherwise, you know, you wouldn't in life ever have the opportunity to go to certain places and you know, experience certain things or enjoy certain landscapes. So it is really fascinating. It's something that really excites me and makes me get out of bed, uh, quite frankly, with, with a lot of excitement every day. Yeah, uh, it's, it's fascinating. Look, so let's go into your life. So how did it all begin? And you know, who influenced you as a leader as you were growing up? Where were the, the role models? And, 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 and I just want the audience not to worry, there'll be a little bit of noise in the background because it's your, your two young kids <laughs> and your partner. So uh, yes. having been uh, kept apart by Australia's rules for five months, you're now back together again, and it's all very That's exciting. exactly so, right. So don't it's worry. It's exciting, a bit noisy. <laughs> don't, don't worry about that. It really doesn't matter. But yeah, tell us a bit about that. 
Well, thank you so much. Um, so it all started in Chile. I was born in Chile, um, 30 some years ago, we'll leave the sun you know, open for interpretation. Um, and look, I think my upbringing was, you know, as many people in a third developed country with a number of challenges uh, in terms of access to education, in terms of uh, financial resources, in terms of political instability, you know, a number of challenges are not unique to Chile and are not unique to my personal circumstances, but that was part of, I guess, the, the early years of my life and that sort of shaped some of the context um, that I grew up with and, and the person that I am today. Um, and I think the, the greatest blessing in my life has always been my family, my parents. We weren't a family of you know, um, resources or, or money or well-off, but we, we had each other. My parents were very hardworking people, um, very responsible, full of values. They were religious which was important to them. I think it helped them navigate life and it helped them reconcile things. You know, sometimes we face frustrations and I, I kind of came to realize that it was easier, I guess, sometimes to, to, to put things down to God, God's will and whatever, you know, God will provide. And it was a way to deal, I suppose, with adversity. And, and I grew up in that faith. And that was important to me as well in growing up. And that gave me, values and gave me guidance and, and gave me something to hold on to and also relationships with other people. Mm. Um, it, it did become a bit of a conflict as I grew up because the things that I was taught, I suppose, not in the sense of values, but you know, it's, it's the religion that I grew up with is fairly oriented to family and I guess a very traditional way of family. Um, and as I grew up and I discovered who I was and came to terms with my own identity, I had a clash about that sense of family, that sense of identity that the religion had given me and who I was and who I needed to be. So that was an interesting adventure. And I think that was really a pivotal moment in, in my personality and, and in some ways in my leadership in terms of being able to accept who you are and therefore being able to accept who others are and, and just valuing the difference starting from within. Uh, so the influence that my parents uh, exercised was, was huge. The influence of religion was huge. The influence of culture in the country. In the time, I suppose, the era that I was living in was very important, very huge as well in sort of shaping me. Uh, so I think, you know, there was a number of, of influences um, in growing up. And when I, when I had the opportunity to think about um, my future and what I wanted to become, what I wanted to study, my dad became the most important influence for me because I was always told that if, if I wanted to be someone, I had to study and I had to have good marks. So I always tried to have good marks throughout you know, school and high school. But when, when I had to make the decision about what I was gonna study, I decided to study an engineering degree because my, my father is an engineer and my brother you know, took his steps and also studied an engineering degree. So I didn't wanna be left out. And my mom is, a, is an art teacher and, and her job was always faced with significant challenges. So, you know, I thought I would go with, with the engineer. And so I studied that. And then when I graduated, um, I had the opportunity to join BHP, large mining company. And that's where my professional career really started and took off. Um, and, and I think a journey of learning and self-discovery really started because I was faced all the sudden with an opportunity to work for a global company that offered me the chances to maybe think that someday I could go and work overseas or you know, live overseas and maybe learn a different language. All the things that I'd never 
thought uh, they could be possible, given given the context and the background that I grew up mm. within. I grew up. Yeah, fascinating. So, so that was exciting. I wanted to stop just in case there were any questions. Uh, no, no. Carry on. This is, this, is, this is brilliant. Uh, tell us okay. more of your life story. Thank you. So um, I joined BHP and I worked with them for about 10 years. Uh, it was a it's great company. I learned heaps. I think I was really exposed to, you know, some of the world's greatest minds and the world's greatest problems. And, and it's a company that has significant amount of resources. So through them, I was able to also work with people from different companies, service providers, um, and um, um, it's, it's, um, service providers from different fields, I suppose, that brought all the best and the brightest minds and all the best, uh, best technologies, as well as consultant firms that gave me the exposure to different types of knowledge, global projects, and so on and forth. So my first role with, uh, with BHP was in one of their mines in the north of Chile, Escondida. So it's, it's the world's largest copper producer quite significant, quite in scale. So everything that you would see was gigantic uh, and it was massive. Um, and then through them, I had the opportunity to move into a different role that was a bit more global, not, not to a specific mine, uh, but it was a global project. So I was part of this global project. And then I faced the opportunity to really start learning the language. Up until that point, I hadn't really been exposed to English too much. I mean, Chile doesn't didn't have at the time. It's probably improved now, but didn't have at the time a, a high significant level of English and literacy. Uh, and so I hadn't been exposed to the language a lot. But through work, um, I had the opportunity through this specific project uh, to achieve that. And I think that's again when another I guess pivotal moment, because I think I had the opportunity to say, I don't really speak the language. This is a global project. I don't think I can do it. Or I had the opportunity to say, well, I don't speak the language, but I, perhaps this is my chance to learn it. I don't know about, about a lot about projects, but maybe this is my chance to be exposed to them and work with a lot of people who are experienced and are a lot smarter and brighter. And maybe I can learn a thing or two or three or 10 from them. And, and this is when um, a very important leader in my life um, sort of made a, made a very significant influence. His name is Alex. And Alex was, had recently joined the organization. When I took this role, there was a different person who was the vice president of HR at the moment, very senior, very experienced, people very dear that I worked with, very dear to me and to the organization. But the person that was previously had moved on and then Alex came. And you know, Alex had the opportunity to say, oh, you know, this is a big project. We're, we're going to appoint someone else who's more senior and has the right experience. And that, by the way, speaks language. And, you know, instead of pass, because she's a bit youngish and, you know, the language and all the rest of it. But he said, he had a conversation with me, he actually, you know, asked me to meet him, we scheduled a time. And he said, well, how do you feel about this project? And what do you know? What do you don't know? What do you think you can learn? What do you think we can help you with? And he had this conversation with me just by trying to help me navigate. And I think he was trying to gauge how confident I was or not or what I needed, most importantly, and, and, and what he could do to support me and to enable me to succeed and and I couldn't believe it because there there was this very senior person recently joined the organization didn't know me he could have made a completely different decision but he took the time and the opportunity to have this conversation and he said well I would like you to, to carry on with the job and if you need something you let me know 
you know, if you need more English lessons, you know, you, you know the bits that we need you to know, you know about HR, you know about systems, you know about processes, you know, you can work with other people. You have, you tick the boxes that we need you to tick. The other boxes, if you're willing to learn, will help you fill. Um, and I thought that was amazing. I never thought I would, you know, have this opportunity presented to me. And, and that was, I was, I've always been grateful for that. Not only that opportunity, but also what he showed as a leader mm. through the years that we continue to work together in this project. And, and, and you know what, what was exciting about this is when I started in this project, the project was relatively small in scope and complexity, but over the years, and I spent about four years in uh, this capacity, over the years, the role you know, grew and became more complex and new things were added and more people. And then all of a sudden, and all of a sudden I was, I was, I was flying to Singapore probably every two months spending there you know, two or three weeks at a time as part of this project. So all of a sudden I became, you know, from being a graduate or, or someone who, you know, was just in a normal university in a normal country, I suppose, who had faced all these limitations, I suppose, through life had the opportunity to join this, you know, large company where I felt at the beginning I didn't fit, but it was a good chance to try to learn and it was a good job. So I thought, you know, I'll give this thing a, a go and a crack and I'll try my best and I'll, and I'll go and I'll walk the mile. And then I was given this opportunity and I said, well, I'll walk that mile again, you know, and see what's at the other side of that road. And, and then I was given this you know, another opportunity to travel overseas, to you know, visit different countries and work with different people, not only from, from Chile, but from the brother of PHP. Uh, come, I came to Australia with that project as well to do some site visits. And, and again, my English wasn't perfect. I wasn't confident. I didn't really, I wasn't really fluent. I could understand more than I could, you know, talk. Um, and I wasn't fully confident, but I, I knew the bits that I guess I, I needed to know. And I was supported and enabled with the rest of it. Um, and, and this project gave me exposure to other people, very senior within BHP and other opportunities. And through that navigation, then after this role, I was then offered an opportunity to actually come to Australia and work for BHP in Australia and sponsored by the company. Right. So hadn't, you know, hadn't that initial sponsorship happened, hadn't that conversation you know, taking place at the time, hadn't I been given the opportunity, probably my whole life and, you know, chain of events would have changed. And, you know, and, and I'll pause here in a minute, but as I mentioned to you, one of the most important things that happened to me in coming to Australia is that I met my partner. Not only, not only satisfaction from the work perspective, but I met my partner and now we have two kids. So life totally took off, you know, just from this, very important moment that a conversation, yeah. you know, started. So, yeah. you know, it, I, yeah, it's been wonderful. Fantastic. And, and also in, in our lives, we, we learn a lot from the, the, the most successful moments and also from some of the darkest moments. What would you like to uh, acknowledge as, as what, what are some of the proudest moments for you? And also what have been some personally dark moments and, and what did you learn from them? Oh, there's been a lot of both of them, a lot of proud moments and a lot of dark moments. <clears throat> if if I'm if I start perhaps with the dark moments, I think when I when I learned about my my sexuality and that I was gay and you know that I didn't fit in the religion, 
that my parents believe my parents believe that I grew up with, and it, to some extent, I felt I didn't fit in the society and the norm that I was brought up with. That was a very dark moment. I think I faced through, I, you know, I went through a couple of years that were very dark. Yeah. Where there were a lot of thoughts that, you know, I'm glad I navigated through and got out of it, and I sought some help and friends. But this whole thing about identity and knowing who you are and valuing that person and coming, you know, getting through that, it's, it's, it can be quite hard. I mean, it's, it's made me, I think, a, humble, a, a person more humble and hopefully more understanding of the challenges that others can go through for whatever other reasons, right? So I'm deeply grateful for those experiences because I think I've learned a lot from them. And I think as a result, I've become stronger and more resilient and, and hopefully, you know, more understanding as well. But they were very difficult to navigate. And at times, you know, I didn't, I wasn't sure whether, whether I was gonna come the other end or not, to be, to be quite frank and quite honest. So, so that was difficult, that was very difficult. Um, but then, you know, the other side of that is in having come through that and having embraced who I am and having found that support in others and having found the opportunity to still you know, have a career and when I met my partner and we have kids, I couldn't think life could be more wonderful than it is, you know? So it's a total change from maybe where I was 10 years ago where to, to where I am today in, in terms of life and career and, and understanding. And Ensodex, so the company I work for now, is incredibly inclusive, it's very open. There's other, other you know, same-sex couples everywhere and parents and we meet, we have friends and it's not a weird thing. And our work is not a thing. They organize like family-friendly meetings and gatherings, Christmas and, it's not even a thing, like it's so normal and it's so open and it's so welcoming that I really feel I fit in and others fit with me and, and we're part of sort of a team. So it's fantastic. I mean, I think it's, it's really lovely that, uh, that, you know, you are a role model of so many people and that you're able to talk about how tough it was uh, realizing your identity, that you were gay and, and coming out. What would you... What advice would you give to others who are listening to this podcast in 50 different countries and in different organizations? If they realize they're in the same situation, but they haven't yet come out, what would be your advice? Look, I understand, um, Jonathan, that there are some countries where situation might be more difficult and where even their lives might be at danger um, because of who they are, depending on you know governments and regulations. So, so I understand that there's not a, a, a one size fits all, but the, the one thing that I, I would say is, you know, that, that self-acceptance comes from within. I was, I was reading this book recently and I'll make the point, I'll circle back with this, but I was reading this book recently uh, where, you know, we, we talk about trying to belong and the power of belonging. And one of the questions the author asks is, well, belong to who? Well, we need to start belonging to ourselves. And that's where belong really starts. If, if I learn to belong to myself, then I belong everywhere and nowhere, so to speak, because I, I carry that belong with me. So the one piece of advice that I would, or, or, you know, thought learning that I would share with those listeners who might be going through similar circumstances is try to find that about yourself that you love where you belong to yourself and try to see yourself as the 
you know, the person who makes their own decisions, the, the person who's driving the bus, not the person who's being driven. And when you, when you learn to belong to yourself and, and when you love who you are and embrace yourself, then others will follow. Yeah. And, and it, it, it doesn't matter in what country you live to do that. It doesn't matter what political circumstances there are. It, it, it matters what you do about yourself and who you are and how you treat yourself. And that's where it all starts. And in fact, uh, I write a, a journal every morning and every evening, which is a very good thing for our mental health as well as a sensible thing to do. And this morning's journal that I, I wrote before we started this was um, tell yourself, I love you three times mm -hmm. a day in the morning, at lunchtime and in the evening. Tell yourself that you love yourself. And I think that sounds very in the old school. That was very, um, you know, otherworldish and you know that was very self-absorbed but I think it is important um, unless you can come to terms with yourself and be comfortable with who you are and be a first-class version of yourself rather than a second-class version of somebody else Absolutely. then then there's going to be problems um, well no, no thank you for saying that because um, as I say it's really important that people can have a role model they look to and here you are you're with your partner You've got two lovely kids. Uh, you've got a great job, and, and you've been through that journey. And, and that was dark, but you got through it. Let's talk about some of the proudest moments. What would be the proudest moments? I imagine the kids are a proud moment. But what what else? They tell, are. Tell us about the kids. Yeah, well, they are indeed a very proud moment. Uh, you know, I never thought we would become parents, uh, but we did. Likely, uh, my partner is a lot more stubborn than I am, and and that's a lot to say. And uh, she really wanted to have babies. And so she said, either, either you're with me or I'm doing this on my own. And I said, no, we'll do it together. And, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and it, you know, it, it couldn't be uh, more perfect, I suppose. Um, both of them are gorgeous. They, you know, they make our days happy. Um, they're very young. They're five and three almost. Uh, and what can I say? I mean, they really complete the picture for us. Um, we're really, really blessed with, with, with them, their lives, their gorgeous little, uh, you know, babies. Uh, and I love them to bits. And I think they, they do make, um, they are part of, part of our you know, proudest, if you like, I don't know if I can call them achievements, but proudest reasons to live and, and to be happy. Um, yeah. But all the reasons to be proud, and I guess all the, all the bright moments um, as in work-wise, when I came to Australia, again, just to reflect sort of in a little bit of that, of that time, I wasn't very fluent uh, in the language. And uh, six months into my, my new job then, it was a job that required a good level of English. I had to write, you know, papers and do research and, and do a number of things that required a level of mastery that I didn't have. And I faced this frustration because I could, I could understand what I was being asked to do. I just couldn't do it because of the language barrier. I couldn't find the words. It was taking me too long to try to master the language. And look, I'd only been six months, I suppose, in Australia. So in hindsight, there's, there's people I've learned, I've seen, that I've met who've been in Australia for 20 years and they still struggle with the language. And I think, you know, after eight years, I'm still learning. But, but I think I've, I've, I've learned significantly. But six months in, I faced this wall where, you know what was more frustrating, Jonathan, is that my thoughts were there. I could think and I could see it. It was like being aware of how incompetent you were because you knew you could see it. You could visualize it, but you just can't do anything about it. So this helplessness was 
was very difficult. And then I found a mentor. Um, again, someone else in my life, you know, another angel that, that was dropped in there. And, and she took me and coached me and helped me and decided to, to help me think differently and help me think using the language differently and framing things differently. And I, I learned. I started to learn and started to become more, more practical, more confident, and started to practice a lot more and started to read a lot more. And I think my brightest moment was when I finally was able to, a few months after that, write a paper that had almost no, no edits, no changes. I remember my boss at the time going like with a red pen, doing marks and changes of all the things that had to be changed. And then I wrote this paper a few months after and there were no changes or minimal things. And it was, you know, flawless and, and, and well, well written. And I was so proud. Yeah. And, and I guess it was a simple thing, but I think the learning for me is not, not only the language, but it's about when you hit these moments that are very difficult, that keep you down, that you feel, am I gonna be able to do this? You find a way, you go to someone, you find someone who is better at it, that can help you navigate, that can teach you some tricks, that can point you in the right direction. And you just push through and that, you know, continue with that perseverance, just don't give up, keep pushing. And then you'll find that angel and that person in that way. And then you get to the other end and it's not gonna be overnight. This didn't happen overnight. It took me a year to write the first paper where I didn't have any marks, 12 months. You know? So it didn't happen overnight, but it did happen. So pushing through, I think that's just the one piece of, I guess, advice. That, yeah. You know, it, 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 it really boils it, boils it down for me. Yeah, and, and that's so great. I mean, mentors, coaches, people, as you call them, angels, who could help you in these difficult moments are key. Finding, you know, surround yourself with good people or even hire an army of giant people, men and women who are metaphorically two inches taller than you um, that you can uh, learn from or they can, can cover those specialist areas. And, and that leads me on to, you know, that mentor gave you great advice. But looking back at your, perhaps your 18 year old young self there, knowing what you know now, Paz, what one bit of advice would you give to your younger self, which might be great advice for anybody listening, whatever age they are. What, now, now from what you've learned, the hard lessons you've had thus far, what one bit of advice would you wish you'd been given when you first started out as a young woman? Yeah. I think I would have tried to love myself a lot more than I did at the time. Yeah. Um, and believe in me and believe in what I could do or not do and be humble about the things that I couldn't do, but tell myself, you learn, you know, you learn, just give yourself a bit of time, give yourself some, you know, space and, and you'll learn and try to find a way. I think I was trying to be all the things that I wasn't because I felt I was carrying this other person, right? this other identity that I had to be and I wasn't. And so I think in my own mind, I was trying to be someone else. And therefore in my daily life, I thought about myself of all the things that I wasn't. And you know that led me to a state of perhaps lack of confidence and lack of self-love. And so if I could give myself some advice to this 18 year old me, I would give myself some time. I would be more kind to myself. And I will, I will say to myself, just, just give yourself some time, trust yourself a little bit more, enjoy yourself a little bit more. And by the way, 
um, there's nothing wrong with who you are. You don't have to be someone else. You don't have to carry this other personality uh, to try to fit in. Just, just chill, be yourself. And whoever does not like you, they have to live with you anyway, or you'll meet someone else and meet other people and move on. The world doesn't end there. So I think when I, when I came, out, I came out at work and to my family and everyone, it really felt like a lift. I lifted a weight of my shoulders and I became a different person. Totally, totally different person. So if I could have done that 10 years earlier or 15 years earlier, all the time I wasted, second guessing myself, um, it would have been time much better utilized. Yeah, yeah. No, and and although, um, you know, my, my journey wasn't one about uh, coming out about my sexuality, I do think uh, in my early years in the army, I felt I had to be somebody else. Um, and there was a certain stereotype, a bit like there's a stereotype of a man's like this and a woman's like yes. this, and this is how you should be. And, and you know, you're gonna have to have a, a family with a man and, and that kind of stuff. Um, in my case, it was more uh, having lost my father who was killed when I was three. It was like, who am I? Because I, I, don't, I don't have a role model father to look to, brought up by my mother and my grandmother uh, with my two elder brothers, but they were away at school as I was sent away to school too. And, and it's quite lonely and you, and you feel like, who am I? And, and I think uh, it, it took me probably to leave the army and come into leadership coaching and to study human psychology to realize really who I was and to be much more comfortable with my strengths and my weaknesses, what I'm not good at, what I love, and, and doing more of that. But also, as you say, I think it was great advice to be yourself. And of course, you're like, well, I don't know who I am. Perhaps I'll just take a bit of him and a bit of him and a bit of her and and, and I'll bring all those bits yeah. and that might make up me. Um, it, I think it's the biggest challenge that people have is, is, is just be yourself, but only better uh, every mm -hmm. day, you know, try and be a little bit better. But it, it's, you, you've really hit on a crucial area that I come across leaders time and again that, that are acting out a part mm -hmm. and, and it's not very, it's certainly not authentic and it doesn't land well with other people and they don't know why, but they can't fully trust that person because they're not sure who are, just who are you? Yeah, yeah. Well, will the real Paz please stand up? You know, yeah. um, what, is what, what do you think? Oh, absolutely. And, and look, I think I, I feel privileged to be in an organization that where, where we can have that conversation and say, look, this is what I'm good at. That's not, I'm not very good at these things but I'm happy to learn. Just help me out a little bit, guide me, teach me, show me, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do my best. I genuinely will try my, my honest and hardest. Um, but I'm not so good at this, but I'm happy to learn. And, and I'm being given that opportunity and being supported in that way. Whereas I can see other people, maybe in other organizations, where that pressure is different, where they feel they have to sort of be this other person, otherwise they'll be out. And that lack of, Genuinity, if you like, is reinforced, unfortunately, by the environment. I mean, I do believe that as human beings, ultimately, we have a choice in everything. Either we stay in our organization or we leave, you know, or, or we decide to play the game or not to play it. But I also understand, and I'm a realistic, that 
you know, sometimes you're afraid of, you know, losing your job or not having an income or, you know, whatever else, losing some status. It, this is re- these are real things that we all face sometimes. And, you know, I, I don't criticize those who may feel less, less able to make in some of these, to make some of these hard decisions. But uh, ultimately, I believe that you're absolutely right, Jonathan. You have to make choices. You have to make decisions. And authenticity is a very key part of finding that long-lasting happiness. Yeah. And the other thing that's come up from uh, the work that I do um, is about assumptions. And often we assume that, that we are limited, that we can't, we assume we can't do something. Or, and it's, it's known as untrue limiting assumptions, that we live as if they are true. So uh, I find, for example, my daughters are now uh, 27 and 26, and I'm, I'm very proud of what they achieve. And I've got a stepson and a stepdaughter who are 29 and 25, and they've all achieved amazing things. And one of the interesting ones with yours, because I think they're five and three at the moment, if, I'm, if I remember awesome. rightly, um, that, that when they say to you, you know, I can't do that. And, and that's an assumption. And, and, yeah. and if you actually give them the chance and say, okay, that's okay. And if you could do it, how would you do it? And they instantly go, oh, I do it this way. And a yeah, minute ago, yeah. they told you they couldn't do it. So you gave them a positive alternative assumption and then they, and it unblocks the brain. So I think, as you say, you're so right. Choice, you know, between stimulus and response, you always have choice. And, and people often go, well, the stimulus happened. I had to respond this way. No, you had a choice. But we, we often give that away. And the other one is, is we make assumptions that we can't do things. And, and, and it's always healthy to go, and, and what if we could do it? How would we do it? What, what do you think? I absolutely agree. And I think that question of how and why it's a much better question than perhaps, you know, why not or I can't do this or the other assumptions. And I find that when you share your thinking process with other people, that helps you challenge not only your thinking process, but also understand other ways of thinking and being open to other reasons why and other house. Um, so I, I find that there is a lot of value in, in, in the dialogue, but with an honest openness to listen and to ask how and to navigate those things you know with an open mindset when you ask someone their opinion with a set mindset there's no point in having that conversation yeah, right yeah but, but but when you really um i think I've, i try to do this exercise quite a bit and look i'm not by no means perfect and i still have a lot to learn but i try to do this exercise when i'm given a goal or a task and i try to think not if i can or can't do it but I try to think of alternatives. How, how could I do this? How could this happen? And I try to really push myself to at least two or three alternatives. And if I can't come with at least two, I just won't make a decision because there's no decision to be made, right? And, and I just really try to push myself to think of alternatives. And even if I still decide for the first thought that came to my mind, the process of assessing alternatives does gives you perspective and does then color in some ways your first thought, because yeah. you thought through all the other things that you hadn't thought before. So your first decision is an enhanced, better decision that brings on board, if you like, or brings the richness of the thought process of the other things. And, and again, I think that if you're able to share, if you have the privilege to share that thought process with others, even better. Yeah, that's great. 
And uh, before we go into the quick fire questions, which I'm going to go through in a minute, just your, your quick first responses. Um, I, I'm often on the point you've made, find it very useful um, when you're trying to come up with new thinking, you know, I can't do this. Well, if I could do it, how would I do it? Mm. And, and often people come to you going, there's only one option. And of course, that's not, uh, that's not options, that's a decision. So I often yeah. say to them, and if you could have three choices, what would they be? And they go, oh, well, I'd do this and this as well. So they actually, with a lot of the questions, they can make three choices and then you've got options. Um, let's go through the inspiring leadership compass. I, I like going ar around the compass, beginning with moral question. Just quick fire, you just, you, your first thoughts. Um, morals and values is, is MQ. And um, what sort of couple of morals or values do you live by? And what happened to you when you let it slip? How did you, how did you come to terms with the fact you'd let your morals slip and you needed to, to come back to what was true to you? Look, there's, there's many values and morals, I suppose, with the religious and bringing, but the one thing that I always try to pick and hold myself to account is humility. Uh, it's something that is, is challenging for me, but I, I always try to be humble because it helps me listen more, ask more questions, and therefore make better decisions. And it also helps me relate to others better, relate to myself better, relate to situations better not get too far ahead of myself uh, when things. Um, and so when I've let that sleep, I've been slammed. You know, it, it does come back. And when I say slammed means you go too far ahead in your own thinking, too far ahead in your own beliefs, too far ahead in what you think is right. And just to only find out that you were wrong all along, you know, and you made assumptions. So, you know, I try not to let that happen by just keeping a check and being humble and listening more. And, it's not easy, yeah, because you're tempted to make quick decisions. But I, I try to, I try to push myself, you know, hold myself in my eagerness, uh, and try to remain humble and calm and listen and understand others. And and I do believe that when I've been able to do that, we collectively make better decisions with the team. You're definitely right, and I think one of the useful techniques is to ask yourself or your team, what if we're wrong? And um, often teams roar on with this. Okay, let's just do some uh, almost pre-mortem. It's now a year on and it didn't work out. The whole project went wrong. What went wrong? What contributed to that going wrong? And that's, that allows you to, in a pre-mortem, to think, well, if it were a year on and it did go wrong, well, these things might have gone wrong. So you can sometimes uh, aim off for that. So that's moral question. The next one is PQ or meaning and purpose. Uh, if there was, you know, one or two things that give your life meaning and purpose, <clears throat> um, what what would they be? And 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 why why do you do what you do? You know, what gives your life meaning and purpose? Look, at, despite the fact that um, I was brought up in a religion that I couldn't reconcile myself in, well, once I grew up because of my identity. I do hold very, you know, close to my heart some of these Christian values, if you like, and and betterness and doing a better world, and and also and I also have kids, so I am very competitive by nature, and I want to do better because I'm competitive. But you know, not but most importantly, I want to do better because this world is the world where my kids are going to live in the future, and I want it to be a better place for them and for the kids of others and for others. I mean, there's no point in. 
um, not moving things forward. I, I look back to where I come from and I, and, and I look at this country, Australia, and all the things that are beautiful about it that make it safe and wonderful to live in. And I wish every country had the same, could offer you know, the same standards to the people because, because it's really enriching and, and it's lovely. So I think what, what gets me out of bed, if you like, of the things that inspired me is how can I do my 1%? What is my grain of salt? that I'm going to contribute to make things just a little bit better. You know, not perfect, I'm not God, just 1% better or one grain of salt better at the time. And then that's my way of paying forward for my kids and for the future generations. And I hope that they will feel the same when they become the working, you know, a working age and a working generation to do it again. And you know, maybe in a hundred years we'll be elsewhere, but you know, it's just about moving a little forward a little bit. Yeah, and talking about hundred years, there's a very good book called The Hundred Year Life. So let's assume that you can live to at least 100. Uh, what are you doing at the moment, Paz, that, that uh, helps your health quotient, HQ as we talk about it, um, that, that keeps you physically and mentally fit and healthy? What, what uh, couple of tips and techniques would you pass on to others that you found helps you? Um, I do a lot of exercise regular, uh, exercise regularly. And when I say regular, I mean every day. Um, I either go for a run or go to the gym and do a bit of weight training and try to remain fit. Uh, I don't eat meat, um, you know, and, um, and, and I drink very uh, casually, not, not very often, and I don't smoke. So I try to keep myself in check in those things. Um, and, you know, I, again, I think it comes in, hand in hand with loving yourself a little bit, doing the things that will benefit you and be good for you, for your body, for your mind. So I try to be disciplined in what I eat. I try to be disciplined. I probably could improve with how much I sleep. I don't sleep a lot. So that's probably something that can improve in, if I'm completely honest. But when it comes to regular exercise and food, I'm very mindful about those things. And I think for me, it's about feeling um, energetic and feeling strong and remaining fit um, for the future. Yeah. And what do you do to help your mental health? Um, because it is an area these days, particularly where we put ourselves under a lot of pressure and, yeah. and we can get a little down. How, how have you helped your own mental health? Look, mental health is, is always something that is, is difficult. And, you know, again, over the last five months since my family was away and I was on my own, there were moments that were a bit difficult. And, you know, I spoke to my colleagues about it. I did reach out to, you know, my boss and colleagues. I, w I was calling home every day to see the kids and talk to my partner. So, and also doing exercise and going for a run was helping me, I suppose, release some of the tension and worries and that stress of being, you know, alone, isolated or whatever. So there was a bit of a combination between physical and mental, mental health. Um, I think talking to people and being open about it, it's important, not, not sort of being silent, suffering in pain on your own little corner, uh, but being upfront speaking up and reaching support, I think is very helpful. And I certainly did uh, to colleagues and friends and, and family. Um, and look, I think when you're at work and there are situations that are very stressful, um, I, I think again, when you are think about it with, with humility, that you're not gonna be the person fixing it all and solving it out and that not everything is your responsibility. It does give you the chance to then reach out to others who have more experience and seek some advice and support and help navigate that. 
yeah that's that's great sound advice and uh, and very wise and then iq is the next area so wisdom judgment decision making um how, how do you you talked about having a mentor um uh how do you make good decisions where, where do you get the advice from do you have a little team that you call on have you got people like paul that you you reach back to how, how do you help yourself with decision making and wisdom? And is there a good bit of advice that you'd give other people, you know, one bit of wisdom that you live by? I think the, the, the one bit of wisdom is never make a rush decision when you're in a rush moment, uh, because it's probably going to lead to a wrong decision that you're going to regret and think back a hundred times um, that you didn't, you know, didn't make. I think asking advice is important, not I think what's challenging, uh, Jonathan, is find a way to to ask for the right advice and the right amount of advice. There's there's something that is paralysis of advice, right? When you ask too much, you're never certain about what you want to do, and you don't feel comfortable making a decision. You ask too many people, and by the time you've come around, the moment is gone. So you need to find the balance. But I think there's always people who have lived similar things before, who have been confronted with similar decisions before, similar challenges. You can ask, even, even if these are people that you perhaps don't agree with all the time, even if, even better, because they will give you a different perspective. So don't be shy, reach out, ask for advice, but then give yourself some timelines and time deadlines and stick by it as well, because you can't drag you know, decisions out for too long. Yeah. But I think making a decision in isolation or rush or feeling that, you know, OMG, if I don't make this decision by 2 p.m. today, you know, that's going to be the end of the world. Well, I bet, I bet it's not going to be the end of the world. You know? And so find, find the right time to really think the consequences and the pros and cons and think about the alternatives before you yeah. make a decision. Yeah, very, very good. And from IQ to EQ, um, they say that IQ accounts for uh, 6% of our performance in our jobs, but EQ accounts for 30%. And the other elements are the remaining 64. So EQ, how have you over the years learned uh, about rapport, about uh, listening skills, about empathy, about reading people? And you say to them, are you okay? And they go, yeah, yeah I'm fine. And you go, I'm not picking up, you're fine. Mm -hmm. so, so how have you, how and from whom have you learned really good emotional and social intelligence? to use your emotions intelligently? It's very difficult. You're absolutely right, Jonathan. It's probably one of the most difficult things to master and to learn. Um, I find that building a relationship with people helps you read them better and understand them better. It's very hard to read a situation or to know whether someone is being truly open or not, or whether there's a meaning inside the meaning if you don't have a relationship. With, with these people, but if you focus on building a relationship with the team that you work with and building that trust and, 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 what, and you have to invest time in building those relationships, right? But if you do that and over time, those people will be a lot more open and will share a lot more. So you won't have the need to be reading between lines because they'll be open and upfront and will tell you, or you will know their cues and be able to interpret and navigate that. So I, I think, you know, Building, investing time in building relationships is, is perhaps, you know, more important than just trying to second guess and try to find ways to, to understand what this thing might mean or not. And 
my, my current manager just had a team for some team members for many years. And I can see how she's invested time over the years, actually nurture those relationships, cultivate them, grow them. Um, and there's no time, there's no need to say on guests. They know each other and they work well together because they've been through, you know, ups and downs together in the relationship and through work for many years. So I can see the value in investing as such. Yeah. And um, I was enjoying reading a book called um, uh, Life is in the Transitions. So that often we think I'm going through a difficult time or a, a good time, whatever it is. Uh, and, and, and life will carry on after that. But actually, it's in the transitions that it's the most interesting aspect. Mm. And, and this person made a point of collecting stories from people. Uh, and I've taken that up uh, in the work I do with anybody I meet. Um, we, we're hearing your life story. <laughs> and, and I find it's really been the most powerful thing. And I've advised people that I coach to go back to the people that you're leading, even if you've known them a long time, do you know their life story? Do you really know what shaped who he or she is, uh, the influences on their life, their values, all these kind of questions we're talking about now, put aside an hour and ask them about their story and zip it and listen to them. Really listen about their life story and what they've been through. And I found time and again, that has created what they call psychological safety yeah. more than any other thing, particularly now we're remotely working because you, you've got to build trust and psychological safety leads to openness, leads to trust, leads to higher performance. Lack of psychological safety, uh, trust equals speed times cost. If trust is low, things take longer, it costs more. If, it, if, if trust is high, things happen very quickly and it doesn't cost very much at all. What's, what's your thoughts on those comments? You know what, I agree. And I was just thinking as you were saying in, I was thinking about two things. One is, um, how, do, how do you build, I was thinking, how do you build that emotional, that, that trust, that psychological trust in, in those moments? And two things came to mind. One is we have the privilege to work in remote sites. So sometimes to get to a remote site, you have to drive three or four hours. There's no connectivity. so. We, sometimes we organize road trips, get in the car, have to go to a site and you with, the, with your colleague and you're literally stuck in a car for the next four hours with no phone reception. So let's talk, let's chat, let's use the time not to talk pieces, but to get to know each other. So those are a good way to spend in time meaningfully in, in, in how you build those relationships. And the other thing is, and, and this is maybe a question I'll, I'll, I'd like to hear your thoughts as well, Jonathan. How much you're prepared to compromise? And, and look, let me put it this way. How much you're prepared to compromise a, a, a good decision or the perfect decision versus the relationship? So, you know, I was chatting to my boss recently and the example she was telling me was sometimes <clears throat> a decision can be 100% correct. But you know that by making the decision, uh, people are going to be impacted and you're not, they're not going to follow as much. They're not going to be as engaged because of what the decision means. You may choose to take a decision that is perhaps 80% or 85% right, but the engagement that you're going to get behind the decision is a lot higher because people would relate to it. So then the question as a leader is, are you prepared or how many times, how often are you prepared to compromise a 100% score decision or an 85% score decision because you're gonna have more engagement 
with one than the other and the followers and, and the support and how people are going to perceive that is going to create that long lasting trust. Yeah. I think it's a very hard call. It, it's really good. And uh, my old Sergeant Major would always be more blunt with me. He said, sir, you can be right, but dead. So for example, if a car is parked on your side of the road, you're driving along, no, I'm sorry, on the other side of the road, you're driving along and a car pulls out to get round the car, which is on, they're on your side of the road now, you can carry on driving at speed and smash into them. You're right, because if they were in the wrong, because they should have waited yeah. on their side of the road, but you're dead. Um, <clears throat> so actually, you, this is where judgment, not being judgmental, but good judgment is key. And I think looking back in the past as an army officer, my judgment wasn't as good as it now is in leadership as a leadership coach advising people because I've made a lot of mistakes mm. through poor judgment. So I've learned what does and doesn't work and you know, making calls about what you do and how people would perceive things. I think it's very interesting. Last three areas are um, resilience, brand and legacy. What would you say you've learned about resilience and uh, coping with setbacks and adversity, Paz? One bit of advice. One bit of advice. Life is full of, um, of you know, challenges. Um, other, otherwise, it wouldn't be life, I suppose. That's kind of the purpose of it. And learning through those experiences, learning through challenges, and just pushing through, remaining humble, it's, it's, it's just as good as life gets you know that's what life is all about so you know don't don't complain keep dreaming keep pushing on you know and don't be discouraged keep you know encouraging yourself and when you feel tired and sit just talk to someone go for a run go for a drink but don't give up just keep going because that's the whole point yeah. um and, and and that's about building you know resilience but that's also just about life yeah and that leads in very nicely into your brand your reputation your image impact that you make or BQ as it is. Um, and in your brand uh, it's hard to know what your brand is like until mm. you get 360 feedback. Um, have you used 360 feedback and, and what have you learned about yourself from it? Yes we I've had I've had a few and I think things that have been recognized is my high level of energy, uh, work ethics, um, a bit of this resilience, this sort of relentless trying and going and keeping going, not giving up and, you know, just trying to find a way of doing things and getting it done. Um, and uh, I think I've had people who have been very kind in, in, in their feedback saying that I've been inspiring to them just, just in the way that I, you know, I, I'm trying to be open to understanding and listening and taking advice as well as provide advice and sharing knowledge. So I've been very humbled um, with that feedback. And I think it's something that I try to live by um, in, in terms of, just being open and honest and, and, and sharing, but also listening a lot. Uh, it's definitely something I can, I need to continue to work in. It never, it's never a given, um, but, but I think that is probably the key for me, continue to, to listen and, and, and learn as well as sharing that knowledge and being generous with others about that. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. And I myself uh, have learned the most from some quite tough feedback uh, or, or someone doing a 360 feedback on me. I mean. I find that the leaders that I work with, the, the thing that helps them the most is when they get a, a, a 360 survey that we might do on them and also some phone interviews 
where people are quite more candid in a phone interview. You can draw more out, even in 20 to 30 minutes. Um, but the leaders who don't want to hear feedback, that's a real problem. And, and they're going to carry on being arrogant and making the same mistakes. Final thing, and when we do finish the recording, um, please stay on. We'll have a bit more of a chat, Paz, at the end. Um, but in your final comments, what would you like your legacy to be, both in your work and in your personal life? You know, when I was sharing with you about Alex, this um, vice president of HR, who at the time took the opportunity to sit down, get to know me, have this conversation with me and encourage me and enable me, to be part of this project and how this, I feel that when you look, when I look back, that was the first step in the chain of events that really transformed my life. I would like my legacy to be that, you know, I have people that I've worked with that feel that when they look back, you know, we had the opportunity to work together and there was something in, in what we did together and how we worked together that taught them something that transformed their lives or helped them or improved them or, you know, something that they took with them. And I hope it's one or two or 10, or you know, hopefully as many people as, I, as we get to touch or get to know, but I'll, I'll love to one day, you know, maybe when I'm 80, listen to some stories uh, of people that I work with that they say, oh, you know, I remember this time and this is what happened and this is what happened after. And, and, and being part of the journey in, in that story and hopefully to have enriched their lives. Great, uh, well, look, um, I, I'm certain, I mean, I've taken a lot away from our interview already. Thank you. Paz Avalos, General Manager Operations at Sodex. So thank you very much for being on the series. And uh, I know others will take a lot from it. Thank you. Thank you very much. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.